I was I was so excited about the idea of having you join this podcast that I had I emailed Bobby like multiple times. It was probably like once a month. Like, hey, are we going to get Michael on board? <laughs> you know, what's his availability? His book is out. He's awesome. And and then Bobby just snapped. And he's like, listen, Graham, you're, you're a dictator. You're a damn fool. You know, you're so mean. And I said, listen, I just I just wanted to get him on board. He's a great guy. You know, he's really smart. So <laughs> I forgot all about that. I did snap. I did. It was like, good night working for Graham. My gosh, he's a dictator. So. <laughs> Michael, you have been talked about a lot, um, and so uh, we're glad you're on the program. And I think that will suffice as an introduction, a very informal introduction to the Promo Kitchen podcast. Um, <laughs> yes, absolutely. But it, it, it is great to have you uh, on the call, Michael. Pleasure to be here, gentlemen. So, so for our audience, Michael, we're just jumping right into it. Michael Woody sure, is our it. guest today. He is the president of International Marketing Advantages. And Michael, Michael's a legend in our business. In case you haven't, uh, don't have the pleasure of knowing Michael or haven't had the pleasure of meeting him, he truly is one of the brightest guys in our business. And that's saying a lot because I think there's a lot of really smart people in this business. Um, but Michael Woody uh, has a book. Mike, when's the book coming out? Um, about, it should be about six months from now. Okay. Um, American Dragon is the name of it. American Dragon. And you can actually go on Facebook and find my, uh, American Dragon, uh, Michael McKeldon Woody. Um, you can find the, the, the page there where Michael has a community um, that's been created to discuss how, how small U.S. manufacturers effectively compete against China manufacturers. Um, it also would be interesting, I think, for your listeners to go to the website and access some of the videos there. And the website is www.americandragon.us. Americandragon.us. Why? Because we're talking about American manufacturing. Michael, before we get into this topic, this is a this is a huge topic, and I know Mark has um, referenced and even has an article too about this as well. But before we get into that, once you tell everyone a little bit about your background, you're just you're no you're no uh, neophyte to this whole industry. You've got a tons of experience. Would you mind sharing your experience? Well, I'm just glad you didn't call me an old man, Bobby. <laughs> yes, I have been around a long time. I got involved in the industry. I was a supplier for about 19 years. Started in 1981. And uh, then started my own uh, company, International Marketing Advantages, in 2001. And the genesis of this book actually came from some experiences I've had, my prior experience as a supplier in the promotional products industry, and then my current experience working with a client who is actually selling to U.S. suppliers as a U.S. manufacturer. Now. What are the, one of the most interesting aspects. Now, you are also president of the PPAI board, at one, or president of PPAI at one time, uh, or chairman Ch of the board. Chairman. Sorry, excuse me, chairman. Yes. Sure. Yep. Chairman of the board. Um, and w one of the interesting things about the book is that uh, Michael was kind enough to send me uh, a copy for review, and it was um, it was fascinating to read about our industry from a 20,000-foot view. It was, it was particularly because the past decade or past decade in particular has been quite rocky and fascinating really from from the dot-com boom dot-com bust um, what's happened subsequently but Michael why don't you tell us a little bit about American Dragon and why you wrote the book well I wrote the book primarily because um, 
uh, I mean, according to the Small Business Administration, Bobby and Mark, 93% of the manufacturing firms in this country have fewer than 100 employees, 74% have fewer than 20. And these are traditionally the companies that have driven employment in the United States. And these are the types of companies that have particularly been affected by the China outsourcing phenomenon. So um, my book focuses on how to how smaller U.S. manufacturers can more effectively compete with China manufacturers. And there are, there are a number, when I was working with a supplier company back in the 80s, we were a manufacturer, a prime manufacturer here in the States, and we were beaten by China. But in the meantime, since that time, there have, been, uh, there, there have become a lot of apparent weaknesses in the China manufacturing model. And it's opening the door, I think, for small to mid-sized U.S. manufacturers to now more effectively compete and beat China manufacturers. Um, I, I kind of started going down this pathway when I got involved with a client who was, uh, I saw that they had an opportunity to actually sell uh, what I call soup-to-nuts products to suppliers. So uh, they manufactured the product and imprinted it and actually sold it to suppliers, blind shipping it to distributors. So it appears it's coming from the supplier company and isn't. And this company right. is competing directly with China manufacturers and beating them every day. And 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 what, Mike? What are you seeing? Are the the, the primary reasons for that? Well, the, the, I'll talk a little bit about the weaknesses in China's business model. Uh, first thing is, of course, increasing labor costs. Costs of uh, labor in China are going up dramatically. Uh, according to the Boston Consulting Group, Chinese wages and benefits have been rising by double digits each year since 2000. So you're talking about average increases of 19 percent per year from 2005 to 2010. Oil prices going up, the, the continuing strengthening of the China currency, which creates an increase in the prices of goods out of China. Then there's the whole issue of geography. They're half a world away. It takes extra time to get product here from China, so people have to order more of it to get it here. And then uh, we're all aware of this in the promotional products uh, industry, particularly the lack of attention over there in China when it comes to product safety and quality. And uh, I mean, we've all read about Mattel and the lead-painted to lead tainted toys that came over here, and the, the poison milk scare over there. So there's a there's a systemic flaw in the product safety quality yeah. process over there. And then, of course, you know, there's the communication issues, and there's the, there's the there's the disintermediation issue. I know that's a big word, but basically, disintermediation means that. Chinese uh, Chinese manufacturer will sell around one a customer, their U.S. customer to their U.S. customer's customer. We see that in the promotional products market. Yep. Distributors are buying directly from China, and and there are some some uh, advertisers who are buying directly from China. So, but that can be a, a key weakness in the China manufacturing model. And, and it's, it's my contention that small to mid-sized U.S. manufacturers can attack those particular weaknesses utilizing three key principles, fewer, faster, and finer. Uh, so fewer means uh, a small, small to mid-sized U.S. manufacturer to compete with China has to, has to focus on shorter production runs, more customized products. Uh, faster means drastically reduced lead times, and finer means higher quality, safer products. Now, those of you, most of the people listening to this broadcast are in the promotional products industry, so they already know that that's what our industry has been focused on for a while. So many of my ideas for this book, and it's really a general interest book, 
But many of my ideas came directly from the promotional products market. Right. One one uh, supplier that pops to my mind immediately, and one that we've been working with and have seen them grow over the last fourteen, fifteen years, is American Apparel. And and it's interesting. It, sure, they have not been without their share of controversy, but as a manufacturing company that is. Uh, proud of their LA heritage and the fact that they make everything in Los Angeles, and I think that if 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 you were to look at your uh, uh, the the uh, the three things that you just mentioned there, I think the, uh, a company like American Apparel would certainly fall into that. And you know, it's interesting as uh, someone that buys and sells a lot of apparel in our distributorship at Right Sleeve, um, we still to this day buy a surprising amount of high-priced made-in-USA American apparel product when Gildan and Fruit and M&O and All Style and all of these um, outside of uh, the U.S. or, Can- or, or, or Canada manufacturing-based operations are just selling a very, very similar product for half the price. So it's amazing to me that we're still able to get away selling that when there's so many lower price comparatives out there. Now, just to flip flip the the, the questioner and the answer, Bobby, are 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 do you find that your your uh, advertiser clients are asking you for Made in USA product? You said you're selling it. You're selling it, or they're asking for it. They're they're. That's a good question. And Michael, before we go any further to answer that one. Uh, why don't you explain what you mean by advertiser? Because I think that the terminology you've used in your book, um, when I read it, I was like, yeah, that makes perfect sense. Can you explain your definitions of advertiser versus distributor supplier? Sure, sure. For years, we've called in, in the industry the, the person who is actually buying the product, the end user. Uh, I consider the end user to be the person who actually ultimately receives the product and uses it. And since we we all consider ourselves in the advertising business, I think that the person buying the product is truly the advertiser because that what they're doing is they're buying advertising. So I call what tradition what many people call the end user or the buyer. I call the advertiser, and then I consider the end user to be the next right. step, which is the person who ultimately receives that product. I love that. I don't know why. Mark is it just me. I just love the fact that it's like we've been calling the wrong thing for any anyways. But, but no, I think it. <laughs> I think it does make a lot of sense. It does make. I mean, a lot that's of... why we wanted Michael on the call, right? He's exactly. Smarter He's smarter than, than us, us so. right? Right. <laughs> so, Michael, to answer your question on our end, um, I would answer both. With that, we have there has been a healthy backlash. I think over the past five years or so, maybe maybe more, but particularly over the past five years, we have clients specifically that ask for USA made goods, um, and then we have, uh, of course, we we love to promote USA made goods uh, as well. What about you, Mark? Uh, I think in the specific case of American Apparel, because that was the example that I had led with, I find it's people that, at least in some of the markets that we're selling to, a lot of the youth and fashion-forward markets, that they're specifically asking for that brand. So they would see that like a brand like Adidas or OGO, uh, even though they're different brands, they mean different things. So, of course... That's where uh, the extra price will be justified. So I find it's brand first. And uh, I'm still surprised, and maybe it's because we're based in Toronto, 
Uh, it's not like we have people that are beating down our door to say it has to be made in Canada or it has to be made in the U.S. I think that people are more focused on the brand or the quality of the shirt. And uh, if, if I was to put a, an American Apparel 2001, let's say, beside a Gildan 64000, which is their knockoff, it's very clear to see the American Apparel is made better. So they've not only invested in higher cost labor, but they've clearly invested in, in, in design that a supplier like Gildan might not be as focused on because they're more focused on the lowest price. Um, and and I, I was also, and I, I wanted to you know, finish off my, my answer with a question, and I'm interested, Bobby, because you're a fellow distributor. How much of your business comes from made in North America suppliers relative to... China. May I jump in? May I jump in on yes. that question, Mark? Yes. And Bobby, yeah. this may help you out a little bit. I think there's a challenge in our industry moving back toward made in USA or made in North America products, and it's because of the way the industry has evolved. When I was a supplier back in the '80s, uh, you could you could describe a company by the product they made. For example, Quill was a pen company. Yeah. Worldwide was a mug company. And these were all prime manufacturers. And what happened in the '90s is uh, companies that were traditionally manufacturing companies instead of broadening their product line by manufacturing a new product they started to go to China and buy product off the shelves of yep. uh, China agents or China manufacturers yep. so the whole industry if you look at the companies that grew during the, the 90s and started to dominate the industry it was companies that that switched from a manufacturing to an importing yep. model. So you've got yep. Leeds, Logomark, those types of companies. Now those are companies that are currently importing thousands of different SKUs from China. So how, how do those companies now suddenly switch and start you know, uh, buying from US firms? And how many US firms are there out there that are currently manufacturing those types of products? So I think the promotional products industry is going to have a, a tough time moving back into the made in USA direction, unless on, unless it's for certain products like apparel, you know there may be there may be particular uh, types of products that it's going to be easier for than it might be for others. Yeah, and Michael, when we were in uh, Houston together, one thing that we discussed was back then um, when there was this acceleration, uh, a move in deadlines. Customers, um, of course have been waiting until the last minute, but, you know, 40% of our orders are rush orders. Um, there are blank goods sitting on the shelves at Leeds or whatever manufacturer there is, supplier. And the turnaround time has really accelerated. So it's, it's, it's brought additional challenges to USA-made manufacturers. Well, and that's, that's, that's the faster principle. Uh, and again, I mentioned three principles, fewer, faster, finer. The faster principle, I mean, the world has changed. Um, I, when I first got into the pen business in the 80s as a supplier company, our lead times were four to six weeks. And right. now, as you know, it, you know I'm, I'm, I think BIC started 24-hour turns um, a few years ago. So um, the world has changed. Everybody wants it now. Uh, and it's not just the promotional products business, it's the world at large. Yep. So, you know, fast food, high-speed internet, we skip commercials while we're watching TV. So uh, everything is faster. And uh, that's a challenge. Actually, that becomes a challenge for China uh, as a manufacturer because uh, companies in general want to keep lower inventories so that they can speed up their cash cycle. And you've got to order a lot from China for the most part, and it takes a long time to get here. So U.S. manufacturers 
uh, give you, their U.S. customers who are currently buying from China the benefit if they buy from the U.S. manufacturer of lower inventory levels, quicker turns, which should improve their cash cycle. But there's no question that faster, it's going to continue to get faster. The reason it works so well in the promotional product space is because the, man, the, the suppliers are not manufacturers. They're basically, they're importing and warehousing product and bang, right. yep. they're just decorating. decorating. Now this right. client that I'm talking about, that I'm working with, does everything. They manufacture, decorate, ship it to the distributor and it looks like it's coming from the supplier. And they're, they're doing that directly against China competition. So it can be done. But, you know, there are certain products that it, it, it's more effective than, hmm. than for other products. I suspect that those of our promotional products distributor friends who have been selling to union unions would probably have a decent lineup of vendor-supplier partners that made in USA. An example is a member of our community, Heidi Thorne, a good friend of mine in Marks, who's a, a brilliant marketer, great distributor. She is with Promo with Purpose today. Uh, that's pwptoday.com. She has a store, a USA and Union made promo shop website that is just full of manufacturers and suppliers that are made with made in USA goods. And she's been featured in Fox Valley Labor News. Um, so she has been promoting that. And again, her, her, that shop site of hers, USA and Union made promo shop.com. Yeah. And so she's done a great job. There is a niche there. Michael, are there, uh, has there been, uh, you know, the Olympic, the story about the Olympics uniforms was in the news. Um, has there been a backlash, uh, a strong backlash, and has it been strong enough to detect in, in the retail sector um, a, a spike in USA made goods? Well, first, let me say that um, I, I don't believe that relying on the patriotism of your customer is a good business model. So if, mm-hmm. if, if you think that if you're a small to mid-sized U.S. manufacturer and you think you're going to to make inroads strictly because you're made in USA, that's not good enough. That's why you have to implement principles like this. I mean, it still has to be good for your customer to buy from you. They can't just buy from you, and they won't just buy from you if you're made in the USA. So um, uh, to, to, to the Olympic uniforms issue, yeah, it was a big story for, for a few days, and you still see things uh, crop up in the press about it. Um, uh, one of the things that I found most interesting about the flap is that uh, there was an interview with uh, the company that actually made those uniforms in China, and their CEO was talking about how um, how the U.S. couldn't manufacture like that anymore. And then, just in the uh, would have been Wednesday's issues of uh, issue of WWD, there was a special Made in America section that that was. WWD is formerly it was called Women's Wear Daily, but there's a special segment in that September 5th issue called Made in America, and it talks about the revitalization of the apparel manufacturing base in the United States. So it, it's not true that we can't do it anymore. There are a number of companies out there that, that are doing it that are manufacturing apparel in the U.S. So is it possible? Yes, but just because you're made in the USA, that's a strong, not a strong enough reason for for um, for for consumers or business to business companies to buy from you. I mean, you've got to be you've got to make it worth their while. And I think by implementing these principles, that's how you do it. Mm. Michael, do you what do you see in the next five to ten, maybe even fifteen years in the promotional business? Do you see um, if I'm just making this up right now? But let's say. Uh, 90% of the, our products in the promotional industry are 
from from China or from outside the U.S. I, again, I'm just making that up. Right. Um, and do you see it becoming more like a 50-50 split in the next 5, 10, 15 years? Or do you see uh, uh, Made in U.S. or Made in Canada as just a stronger niche, but still it, it would be almost impossible for us to compete with that cheap carabiner business? And we all know that people will still buy cheap carabiners. And do we want to be manufacturing that kind of stuff locally? Well, that's that's two questions. and and And... So I'll answer the second question first. Do we want to be? I hear that question a lot, uh, and I've heard it about the apparel business in particular, and and other types of of manufacturing. Do we want those jobs back? Or or I actually I typically I typically hear what I read or hear as an economist say we don't want those jobs back. And and my right. response to that is who's we? Right. Because if you've been out of work for 24 months, you might want that job even though it's ten dollars an hour so right. I think for us to say that we don't want those jobs is I mean yeah it depends on on, on where you're sitting um, I know that I deal with a lot of manufacturers that have assembly people that are working anywhere from uh, for uh, nine to twelve hours uh, nine to twelve dollars an hour and they love having those jobs yeah so you know uh, do we want those jobs back depends on who who the we is that you're referring to? I think right. I think there are people that do want those jobs back. Yep. Um, and now I forgot your first question, so I got to go back and I asked you, asked you what that question is. See, you got me you on my soapbox. Be... You got me on my soapbox. You must be old, Michael. I tell you, I'm that. I will repeat the first question. Um, <laughs> the first question is: Well, I get all wound up about see... that second question because I know well you are but I but I I I want to come back at that second question in 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 a second um but the the first question was where do you see things going in the promotional products business in the next five ten fifteen years in terms of I I had made this ninety ten uh estimate before where do you think it's going to go I think there will be an increasing movement toward USA made product but it's yep. it's in the promotional products business it's going to be very difficult for I mean it it will be an incremental very very gradual process uh I mean the the costs are going up out of China but again we we have so many SKUs in this industry yep. that that you know, to say that a company like like a Leeds for example is going to be able to source all those products here in the states well it's just it's 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 not in the right. cards. I mean, there may be certain product lines that they might be able to to source, but um, so I don't see it. I, I, I see it moving, but I see it moving slowly and, and incrementally. Right. And it, it, like, I, I don't. I don't foresee a fifty-fifty split for. Uh, you know, I just don't see that happening. It's and I think that's the nature of the business. I'm not saying it's it's good or bad. I'm just saying it is. It sounds like right. safety safety issues alone could be the fulcrum that really does push that along um, yeah, under your category of better um, yeah, right. the safety how, how does a distributor if you're uh, uh, were to recommend a distributor approaching their clients how, how do we approach clients with a pro USA made <laughs> product the safety regulations you know there's there's the uh, uh, certificates of safety do you have some advice on how we approach our clients with USA made well, I'm I'm not an expert in in product safety. There's there are many people in this industry who are, but I will say that I you know from as someone who's been in the sales and marketing side of the business for a while, I would I I, I like to say sell fear. 
if, if, uh, if, if you're a U small to mid-sized U.S. manufacturer or if you're a distributor selling to a, to a, to a customer and, and you want them to, to buy made in USA product, then, then I, would, I would make sure they're aware of the horror stories um, uh, when it comes to companies, U.S. companies buying from China and being burned by unsafe product, particularly right. unsafe product. We all know that there are quality issues, but unsafe product, I mean, that's just, uh, 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 that's a dangerous situation. Uh, I mean, no one wants to walk into their parking lot, walk out of their office and have, you know, Steve Croft from 60 Minutes stick a microphone in their face and say, did you know you were selling unsafe, handing out unsafe product to children? Right. And, and if you're the distributor who sold those products, you certainly don't want that client coming back to you. So right. um, I'm a big proponent of selling fear because I think it's a it's it's a it's well based. And, and that's obviously not an either or extreme. There are plenty of manufacturers in our industry. Most of the most of them, and certainly the the top manufacturers who go through rather stringent qualifications to bring over safe products. So it's it's not necessarily an extreme of USA made versus versus China-made uh, right, product. Right. And I do think, we, as an industry, uh, we've made tremendous strides. I mean, uh, uh, I, I know this, uh, the QCA, for example, is a great organization. Uh, there's this uh, fantastic, I think it's called the Turbo Test on the PPAI website. I think as, a, as, a, as a, um, an industry, we are, especially an industry that does a lot of importing from China, I mean, I think we do a great job as an industry um, making certain that the products that are sold to the customer base are safe products. Right. Michael, I had a, qu a question. This was something that uh, you and, and I and a few others had gone back and forth uh, probably the better part of uh, 12 to 18 months ago. Is this, this whole question around value generation when you are importing that order from, from China and, and particularly the value generation uh, or the value that's accrued to China versus the value that's accrued to to the U.S. or to or to Canada. Yes, Mark. And yeah, you know there was this example um, of a carabiner. A carabiner, I think, was ninety-seven cents on a C in an aerial catalog, and uh, just with some quick math, um, it it came. Uh, let's say uh, the order was for I think six thousand units. There, there was an right. article in the right. press as to how this was the worst thing in the world, and that how. Uh, the government should should have supported a domestic uh, domestically made product, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So the quick math was ninety seven cents on a C for the carabiner times six thousand units, and back of the envelope calculation suggested that forty eight hundred dollars of an almost six thousand dollar order accrued to either the U.S. Uh, distributor, U, uh, 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 the the U.S. Uh, decorator like Ariel, and then some money thrown in for logistics and and uh, domestic shipping. Whereas right. uh, around a thousand dollars accrued to the Chinese economy. So how do you, it, when when you look at that very crude analysis, you might think that importing is a good thing for us, and the fact that we've lost those jobs in the U.S. is bad. But look at all the additional money that that's going to the distributor, to the distributor's employees, uh, Ariel's employees, the guy who's driving the truck in the U.S. I agree yeah, with I, all I, of that. Yeah, I agree with all that, Mark. But the fact is that if that product had been manufactured in the States, it still would yeah. have added additional jobs here in the States. That, that would not have affected the value add, yeah. most of the value add, from the, in terms of the promotional products distribution network standpoint. Yeah. So, I mean, the Boston Consulting Group recently released a study that said that for every manufacturing job created here in the States, 
that creates 2.5 to 3.5 ancillary jobs in other parts of the economy. Right. So, you know, if you do the math from that standpoint, and, you know, I think, and, and I don't remember the, the particular numbers, Mark, but I know we went back and forth, and I think I, I did a thumbnail sketch of if you took the 16, $17 billion promotional products industry and you worked it back to, to, uh, to uh, what the, the net cost of the, of, of the, the, the goods were and then yep. what it would, how many people it would take to manufacture those goods. It works out to be a significant number of people, a significant yeah, number yeah. of jobs. So it's it's, and and there was I even saw a recent uh, the Federal Reserve Bank of San Francisco recently re- released a report that said that that uh, there was a very small what they said was a very very small percentage of of manufacturing jobs of the total economy here in the states were based in China. Well, right. I did I did the math on that two percent, and I won't bore everybody with that right now. But it came out to literally millions of manufacturing jobs. Yep. So then you take those millions of manufacturing jobs and you multiply it by 2.5 to 3.5, and yep. suddenly we don't have an unemployment problem anymore. Right. So right. and 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 so you know when people say, well, it's not that much in China. Well, it doesn't take much, right. especially when you consider the 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 multiplier effect of jobs. Michael, I want to switch gears for just a second and take advantage of the opportunity. We've got someone of your with someone of your caliber. Uh, we've got cornered here on a Skype podcast. Um, we have, as you know, part of our mission on Promo Kitchen is to mentor younger suppliers and distributors in the business. And many people may or may not know Michael consults with. Uh, plenty of our manufacturers and our suppliers in our industry. This is very general, Michael, but what kind of advice would you have? I know specifically of a couple of young folks in our audience that listen to this podcast that are at the helm of some small manufacturing decorators here in the U.S. Would love to hear some advice. What do you have for them? You've spent so many years in this business. Um, What kind of advice do you have for, for them moving forward? Biggest advice for someone, uh, a young person trying to drive a small supplier company forward, is uh, try to influence as much as you can the distributor salesperson. Try to influence the the actual point where the sales transaction occurs. So you want to try to influence, if you can, the space between the distributor salesperson and the advertiser. And how do you do that? Well, you try to identify great distributor salespeople and make sure that they know who you are and what you can do. So uh, when I look at the distribution channel, I always separate the distributor company from the distributor salesperson because they're two separate things. Hmm. And I think uh, if you're a a supplier trying to affect and grow your business, what you want want to do is you want to, as much as possible, communicate directly with salespeople so that you can influence that space between the salesperson and and the uh, the advertiser now if you're if you're a distributor salesperson you're new to the industry the best piece of advice I could give is stick as close to that buyer as you can because in my opinion that's the strongest link in the distribution channel the link between the distributor salesperson and the advertiser yep that's where the rubber meets the road so know and love your advertiser customer uh, because that's that's where it all happens that's good advice Michael what do you how do you recommend suppliers distinguish themselves the, the industry has gotten so big and you know you go to Expo these days and it's it's massive how are you advising some of your supplier clients uh, to distinguish themselves 
I think they have to do, it's very similar to the principles in my book, fewer, faster, finer. Drive down your minimum order sizes as low as you can, deliver as quickly as you can. As a matter of fact, uh, I've been saying for years that ultimately the lead time in the promotional products distribution network will be whenever the customer wants it. Yeah. Yep. It's almost that way now. Yeah. I mean, at, at some point, somebody's going to publish a catalog where there's no lead time because the lead time is going to be when, when that yeah. distributor calls the supplier point. and say, well, when do you want it? Because that's when it's going to be there. Yeah. So, you know, uh, so being faster and, of course, delivering, you know, quality imprint on a quality product, that's the finer piece of it. Again, a lot of the principles of my book, which, again, is focused or, or directed at a general business audience, I, I derive many of those ideas directly from the promotional products business. Michael, are there any um, specific uh, examples of U.S. or or Canadian suppliers that are doing a really phenomenal job in your view in this in this business? I, I the think promotional products industry. Yeah, I, I think uh, you know that's that's a very subjective thing, and for, uh, frankly, for that information, I rely on on the uh, on the general uh, growth of the supplier company. And you know, I relate that to also to the the, uh, the surveys that you see, you know, customer sur- satisfaction surveys, um, because that's really that tells you that tells you who's doing well and who's not. I mean, if you're not doing well, your sales aren't going to keep going up. Right. Well, Michael, we are getting close to the end of our program here. We usually reserve the last word for our guest. Uh, any final words and comments you would like to make? Oh, I'd just like to thank you, folks. I think what you're doing with this with this podcast is, is exceptional. I think it's a great way to to to, to create new forms of communication uh, in our industry and just say keep up the great work. And I would also like to ask everybody out there to go to www.americandragon.us. Uh, you can check out the videos that talk about the fewer, faster, final principles. You can actually see a profile video of a company that is using these principles to beat China manufacturers. You just uh, go to the main page, click on the profile at the top of the page. And if, you're, if you are a supplier out there that is a U.S. manufacturer, please go to the Facebook page. You can access it from the website and tell us your story about how you're using the principles of fewer, faster, or finer to beat China manufacturers. Love to hear about it. And I know that uh, all the folks who go to the site would love to hear about it. That's great. And the book comes out in about six months, you say? Should be about six months. Okay, great, great. Mark, any great. final words or questions? I, um, I, I, one quick story came, came to my mind. Uh, I, I'll keep it quick here. But, uh, you know, it's interesting. We, we uh, have one, one particular client that um, whenever we go into them, into their office, they always say to us, all right, we want to go offshore. We want to buy in China because China equals cheap and cheap is good. And, and they want good stuff, don't get me wrong, but they just feel, uh, feel that if they go offshore, they're going to save 50% of, uh, um, uh, compared to them purchasing it locally. And it's interesting, when we, when we put together this uh, program for them, and there's hats and there's uh, uh, a lot of apparel, um, probably more apparel than anything in this program that we put together, um, whenever we do the math, it's always cheaper for us to do it locally. It is better quality to do it locally, and the minimums are also significantly lower. 
Um, and you know, we're doing decent numbers with them, but we don't have six months and a thousand units in a hooded sweatshirt. We've got maybe 500 units and, um, five weeks to produce this. And there's just no way that you can go off to China sure. and get that. So sure. what's interesting is that we'll go back to this customers, very, very savvy. Uh, they know how to buy. They've got a lot of people that are knocking on their door and we're able to give them an analysis between made in China and then a, a locally produced product and show them that A, we'll not only be able to produce the order and deliver it on time, which is probably got to be the most important piece of this, but that B, that the cost is going to be less by us producing it locally. And it's always a real eye-opener for them. And, um, well, the price and our job is to be very impartial, and our job is to be very impartial, and obviously lay all the cards out on the table. But that's some experience that I wanted to share. Yeah, well, it's great. It's great, great point, Mark, and it's good work on your part. We all know that uh, we all know that the price is not necessarily the ultimate cost. Yeah. So uh, the yeah. price from China may be cheaper, but <laughs> right. it may, in the long run, may cost you a lot more. So yep. always remember the difference between the price and the ultimate cost, especially when you're buying from China. That's a great yep. word to end on. Uh, well, as always, we appreciate um, our listeners, Michael. We are we are very thankful you joined us. We hope we get to do this again soon. Oh, it's my pleasure, Bobby. Uh, Mark, we, thanks for having me. Enjoy. You bet. You bet. And for our listeners, again, uh, if you have enjoyed the podcast, feel free to go out to iTunes, wherever you listen, make a comment. Make a comment on the website. Let us know. Let us know topics that you want to hear. We really would like to have more of our community members on the podcast. So um, it's it, it's not egomaniacal at all to shoot us an email and say, hey, guys, I've got a topic. I want to talk about it because Mark and I would love to kick that around. And one more time, Michael Woody's website, americandragon.us. And yes, it's, sir. it's fantastic. And I know just you're going to love the book. And, you know, here on Promo Kitchen, Michael, I don't know if you know, we, we don't even do advertising. There's a very, very small percentage of advertising on our site, which in our industry mm-hmm. is a shocker. But <laughs> we, don't, we don't just promote books when people say they want to promote a book we have michael on because this is really substantial information that we think is going to help many of our supplier uh yep. partners and community in the community so um, again one more time americandragon.us and guys and, and excuse me bobby yeah, i know yeah. i'm preaching I'm, i know i'm preaching to the choir but yeah. i'm, I'm going to point some people outside the industry to this so can you can you uh tell me here how how i tell them to access that yes go to promokitchen.com um, and, and you will find the podcast there. I'll shoot you a link as well, Mike. Sounds great. I'll okay. send it around. Awesome. All right, Mark, cool. Michael, it's been good. Thanks, gentlemen. Thank you, gentlemen. Enjoy spending time with you. All right, you too. Take care. Absolutely. Okay, bye-bye.